Hello, my name is Sally Fayez and you're listening to the news chat on the road to open science. This podcast is an initiative of the Utrecht Academy with the support of the open science community Utrecht. This program is recorded in November 2018 together with Jeroen Sonderfan who reviews the news of the past months around open science for you. we have in the news over open science in the last months since we issued our last uh, episode of the news chat what have you gathered uh no a lot of things have happened um so uh three weeks ago there was a uh, meeting an important meeting with um uh, organized by the KNW, the royal academy of arts and sciences in amersfoort uh, about Plan S and the implementation of uh, Plan S, um, but I think uh, the the so there has been a lot of discussions with Plan S, but mostly between libraries, publishers, policymakers, but the researchers um, were sort of uh, left out of the discussion. So and this one was especially uh, organized for researchers, for uh, members of the academy. Um, so there was a lot of discussion going on on the implementation or uh, the consequences of the principles of Plan S. Uh, and four researchers were given time to uh, speak about their issues, maybe anxieties uh, about uh, the, the, the principles being stated in Plan S. What was your observation on the mood of the meeting? How could you summarize the anxieties that was present? There were four, four speakers coming from different disciplines, which was very good. And also the humanities was part of the, one of the disciplines, which is also very good because it tends to be now, the discussions tend, tended to be very much aimed for the STM, the sciences, technology, medicine, uh, disciplines, social sciences, but not so much the humanities. Yeah, there was a lot of variety in approaches, anxiety about career paths, for instance. Uh, what does it mean that I can't choose my own journal because hybrids, hybrid journals are being excluded from uh, the, 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 the route to publish? There was an anxiety across the board, I think. From the humanities perspective, it was, please don't forget the books um, because uh, it's an important, still an important output for the humanities and also the social sciences. Um, so there was a plea from, from two speakers, basically, uh, also in law and economics. Uh, please don't forget about the books, because now in, within Plan S principles, it's, it's very vague what will happen with books uh, in terms of funding and compliancy. Uh, we'll come back to the books later. What I also observed was the discussion on editorship, because m- many in the audience were editors or on editorial boards, and they had questions okay, but what should I do if I'm sitting on editorial board of one of these journals which you put in you know, the gray zone or the red zone? Should I resign? Should I try to change things? And there were various reactions. We had reactions from people who, uh, for example, said, yeah, of course, you can also just sit on the editorial boards of open access journals. It's up to you to choose. I found it the reaction of the editor of Glossa so he said, look, it's not very difficult. Well, maybe in hindsight, it's not very difficult, but they have done it. They were sitting on the editorial board of a closed journal, and then they decided to flip it. So the whole editorial board started a new journal, which is still very prestigious. It's completely open access with the same editorial board. So this is in principle possible, right? 
that was another observation I had that if researchers want it, they can. The other nice thing that came up was the discussion on SciPost. We had actually an interview with uh, Jean Sebastian Co in the third episode of the Road to Open Science. And he said, look, in comparison with other, other things which I'm doing for my research, running a journal is actually quite easy. So why should it be so expensive? A few short uh, items which we have gathered in the past weeks with the other colleagues. The first one I see in the list here is uh, the report of Ratanao Institute on the impact of 30 years of policymaking based on excellence. Have you seen that report? I have seen the report. Uh, I haven't read it in depth, uh, uh, so I, I, I need to do that. But um, the, there, there are a few things um, standing out. The report says that the excellence policy is uh, backfired. Um, it has gone too far, um, and also for specific disciplines, it seems to not be the right way to to, to approach, basically. Um, and there's the red race in, in terms of competition. The report also states the definition of excellence should be revisited or at least be looked at again, um, because now it, it really focuses focuses on uh, have being top excellent in fundamental research, for instance, and publishing your articles or output in top-ranked journals. It's all focusing on on that specific um, uh, part of the excellence uh, question. So that should be uh, revisited again. But that's also interesting because in our episode five, we talked about excellence with Cameron Nalen, and based on his research, based on the, for example, strategic statements of many universities and research organizations around the world, they have found that actually the excellence word is used in so many contexts, which is almost meaningless. And in their article says that, you know, there have to be some other things which we really can measure so that we can uh, apply them to our policy making and then put them as targets instead of excellence. So I recommend listening to the fifth episode and the discussion with Cameron Nalen. The other little piece of news, the report of uh, KNV, the Royal Academy of Science and Arts, called mapping uh, societal impact. Societal impact has become more and more important in research output and how we can approach this. I really recommend having a look at this report. Uh, Envel also announced uh, something during that meeting discussion on Plan S. What was that? NWOs, the, the Dutch Research uh, Council, they, they signed and uh, endorsed and support the Plan S, uh, but still in the research assessments and uh, have when uh, writing a grant proposal, you need to state your uh, top five articles, for instance, and attached to it, uh, you need to mention the general impact factor. So it's still very focusing on this, this way of measuring impact, and that's an issue. And there is the San Francisco Declaration on Research Assessment to um, revisit the idea of uh, not only focusing on the journal impact factor or other uh, similar metrics, uh, um, uh, types like the H-index or uh, others, um, but we, we need to look broader. Um, so, and the Dutch Research Council, they announced that they will uh, uh, sign the DORA uh, Declaration, um, of the Coalition S, the 11 funders. I think eight of them already signed the, the, the Dora Declaration, four haven't, um, and MWO is one of them. Uh, but luckily, uh, they announced that they will uh, participate at least in the discussion of uh, implementing Dora. So that's, that's, that's a very good uh, thing and interesting uh, step. Yeah, yeah, and I think the reason they have not signed it yet is that they say we would like to first review all of our practices and to comply completely 
because there are also many organizations who have signed the assessment, but on a day daily practices, researchers don't mention those. Uh, example is the Association of Dutch Universities, which has signed it already four years ago. Uh, and by that, all of us should be following the DORA assessment, but I still, when I submit grants, I encounter the same issues you just mentioned. Signing a declaration um, only means something if you do something with it uh, eh? uh, afterwards. Just a signature is not, is not enough. So, And we need to work on this um, because I think eh, um, in terms of questioning what excellence, uh, what impact, uh, what federalization is, if, if we um, find new, maybe definitions, but find new ways in, in approaching this, uh, this will help the transition to open access and open science. Absolutely. And I think that's why Planes has started such a big turmoil in part of the community because they have clearly attached consequences to not complying with it, uh, including the fact that, well, they say the funders should not pay for publication in the journals which don't uh, follow the principles. Still, the researchers can find other funding to publish their results, but the, the funders will not pay those. The other thing you mentioned in the beginning was the emphasis of planets on uh, science and medicine and the reaction from the humanities that don't forget us, we also have uh, our own issues. And you have been to a conference on open access books. Uh, yes, uh, and even better, I, I, I uh, was one of the organizers of the, of the conference and also on the, um, the, the presentations uh, uh, during the KNW session. Um, had two uh, speakers mentioned the books as being uh, an important part of the humanities uh, output, but also the social sciences and even in economics and law uh, and even in some science disciplines like math and, 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 and some others. Um, uh, now, books are being published. So open access books, it's, 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 um, it's not new, but it's um, in, in terms of policy, for instance, national, but also international policies um, it's a very diverse landscape um, so I can recommend the landscape study by the knowledge exchange of uh, being published last year on open access monographs um, so the knowledge exchange is a group of six Europe European countries so the landscape study um, was basically meant to have a sort of idea what's happening um, and one of the conclusions is a lot of things are happening but it's very scattered um, funding is a real issue, um, and uh, but also a transparency of the market, for instance. So, um, and that transparency uh, is also a discussion if we talk about APCs, yeah, article publication charges. But it's even less transparent uh, if we talk about BPCs, like the book uh, publication charges. Now you can have BPCs at publishers of a zero uh, euros or pounds, uh, usually when when the publishers are scholar-led publishers. Um, but if we talk about commercial publishers, they charge 15 to 18,000 euros or pounds. So there is a variety between zero and 18,000, um, which is really a lot. So that needs explanation. That needs uh, had to be addressed, uh, the discussion of transparency of costing. Um, and if we address those, those questions, I ho hopefully uh, uh, the upcoming year, um, then policymakers can, can work with the, uh, these specific details. So there's a lot of there are a lot of things to discuss about um, um, and the meeting last week 
uh, was also a follow-up on this landscape study. Um, and uh, we held it in Brussels, also uh, nearby the EU and the European Commission. Uh, so there were a couple of EC um, um, and also the ERC uh, was, was present. Um, yeah, so discussions on this transparency questions, uh, policy implementations, alignment of stakeholders, um, but also metrics. We don't know on a national scale, but also on international, so the different countries, the, re the actual research output in terms of books, only the UK has a very, because of the REF, um, they, they have a sort of clear view on what the output is. But if we talk about the Netherlands or other countries, it's, it's, it's very uh, vague. Uh, so that should be addressed as well, that, that we actually know the numbers. So is it already clear that if you publish in open source or I must say an open access open book, uh, would it have a different impact uh, on, I don't know, your career or on your on the way your quality of your work is measured? Hopefully. Um, and what what had the, so uh, there there is still so the majority of books are being published closed closed access. So uh, in the traditional way. Um, and what you see is that some publishers will um, put their backlist, so after, let's say, three, four, five years, and they put their backlist online, eh, make it available to the public. That, that, that's one. So that's more the easy, the green route. You can call it the green route for books. Um, but uh, there's a lot of experim experimentation going on, so immediate open access for, for, for books. For instance, Springer, uh, but also the Gruyter in Germany. Springer basically now is the largest open access book publisher. Um, so there, and uh, so you see a hybrid model. So immediate open access, uh, so the PDF, for instance, um, being deposited in, for instance, the OAPEN library, open access publishing European networks. That's a platform, but also JSTOR in in the US is now having open access books as part of their uh, uh, journal um, lists. Uh, so it's it it starts to grow, um, but it's very early days. So we talk about um, in in the directory of open access books, um, basically an index, but also a sort of quality uh, index, like the directory of open access journals. Um, I think they now index more or less six thousand or seven thousand uh, OA uh, books. There is more, um, but these come from at least uh, the the the. the prestigious or at least the acknowledged uh, publishers. Okay, so it's not that it's not about best selling because the size of communities is different. So a very prestigious book in one community can be selling, I don't know, 100 copies, while a less prestigious book in another community can be selling 10,000. But it doesn't mean that the quality of these two books can be compared. So there are examples and there's also uh, some research being done uh, in the UK, for instance, but also in the Netherlands based on this OAPEN um, data set, for instance. That um, so yeah, you have a few things. So uh, one is that you will keep selling books even if it's online available. Uh, for some, like textbooks, for instance, but also some others, um, it 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 could have a negative effect, but it could also have a positive effect because it is more accessible. It's more uh, have more people from out uh, from everywhere can can find this book. Um, uh, so that, that's, that's, that's one thing, so uh, some research has been done on that, uh, but still it's uh, based on uh, small data sets. So we need more research on, on, on that the following years, I guess. 
Um, but it's it's proven that for some um, uh, books um, you have like thousands and thousands of downloads, and if it would have been eh, uh, under subscription, or uh, uh, you, you need to pay for the for the copy, and it's it, it isn't available online. Maybe you would have sold like two, three, four, five hundred uh, paper copies, mm -hmm. but now you have the, those extra downloads. And um, what I need to mention is, for instance, the Knowledge Unleashed program. That's um, um, a program to unleash books from traditional publishers, or at least uh, the, the, the university presses, for instance, but also commercial publishers, um, and ask libraries for support to unlatch, to open up uh, some specific titles of those publishers. Um, and they uh, they keep track of these, these, these downloads, figures, for instance, and metrics, and it's really interesting to see what, what's happening there. And this was the news chat of November 2018 on the road to open science. Don't miss our last episode, Commons is the name, in which we talk to Marlene Sticker and Bianca Kram. From me, San Levias, thanks for listening. <laughs>